and welcome back to my channel. I hope you guys are all having a great day. Today I'm gonna to be introducing you to another family and we're gonna be talking about Jessica Easterly. I have been in contact with Jessica's sister, Audrey, for a while now. This story is so crazy. What this family has been through is insane and should never happen to anyone. I honestly don't know how they're still going. What they've been through has been traumatizing to say the least, but they still continue to fight. Audrey has fought so hard to get her sister's name out there, and I wouldn't know about the case if she didn't contact me. But more people need to hear about this one because it's insane, and it just happened pretty recently, I mean, in the last couple of years, and not enough people know about it. So today is gonna be one of those videos where we need active true crime viewers to help us. We have a call to action plan and you can actually make a difference by following the steps that I will get to in a little bit or that are already in the description box if you wanna just get ahead of the game. Okay, now let's get into Jessica Easterly's case. So Jessica was born on August 17th, 1976 in Mississippi. She was delivered by her own grandfather who was a doctor, Dr. Clay Easterly. Her parents' names are Donna and Lloyd. And when she was younger, she had an infant brother named Clay who was named after their grandfather. But unfortunately they lost him when he was only an hour old. That was really hard on their family. But that made them cherish Jessica even more and she was a very loved child. Everyone in the family said she was constantly bringing joy into their lives. She had a huge smile, gorgeous smile that really lit up a room. As a baby, she was healthy, happy, and pretty easy. Jessica also grew up with her two sisters, Amanda and Audrey, who goes by Audra sometimes. And she also spent a lot of time with her cousins who are just like siblings to her. And they would all spend time together at their grandparents' home. They were very, very close with their grandparents. She and her sisters were raised mostly in Ocean Springs in a town just across from Biloxi Bay in Mississippi. And growing up, her family says that she was full of life. I mean, she was a little Leo, so that does not surprise me, but she's described as being witty, smart, and very active. She also was funny. She was described as having a really good sense of humor and also a good imagination. Jessica was friendly. She had friends from all walks of life. She was funny. She was especially quick with her jokes. She loved to cook. She was great at fashion. She could put any two pieces of clothing together and make something phenomenal. She loved music, especially 80s. She also had a penchant for rap music. Jessica was probably the funniest person you, you would ever meet. She had a lightning fast wit. No matter what you were talking about, she would come right back something so funny it like if you talk to her on the phone you would spend the whole time laughing and, and like betty white level wit just quick 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 and funny um she was the type of girl that really liked to just sit around in your pjs and watch movies together and cook and and have just the most chill time and laugh. And when she was growing up, she was really into dancing. She loved performing arts. She loved to play outdoors and spend time with her dogs. She was a huge animal lover. And she also had an insatiable love for reading. And Jessica had a really good childhood. She was very loved, had both of her grandparents very close to her. Her grandma would teach her how to cook. Her grandpa spent tons of time with her and all the other grandkids. She loved her parents and they supported everything that she did. She was involved in many activities and had a lot of friends. She loved holiday traditions. She loved Marilyn Monroe and she loved the color purple. 
Our parents married whenever I was about nine and Jessica was about 12. So growing up with that age difference, we were basically big sister, little sister relationship. About a year after I graduated from high school is whenever I moved in with her. And that's whenever we became close and she was one of my best friends. So after high school, Jessica went to the University of South Alabama and she graduated with a degree in audiology and speech pathology. And as an adult, Jessica's friends and family said that she was just as upbeat and lively as she was when she was a kid. Jessica was always up for adventure and had a real spark of life to her. She made friends super easily and was very loyal to the friends that she had. So her parents actually separated when she was young and her mom got remarried and she really liked her stepdad as well. And his name is Rick Schmidt. He was around for many years when Jessica was younger. I'm not sure when exactly he entered the picture, but he was very close with her and she was very close with him. So eventually Jessica meets this guy named Justin Durning Jr. And it's apparently love at first sight. Jessica had actually written about this and talked about how she met him on a boat. And when she first got on the boat, she was like with a group of friends. She saw him, they locked eyes and she couldn't keep her eyes off him. It was, you know, one of those situations where she didn't want to stare, but she couldn't stop. And she noticed he was doing the same thing and they connected that night. And she said it was just kind of love at first sight. So eventually in 2002, she moves to New Orleans to be with Justin and they actually get married in 2015. When Jessica told me she was marrying Justin, I was honestly happy for her. I thought to myself, good, she found the one that's gonna make her happy for the rest of her life. But even though she had moved to a different state, she stayed very close with her friends and her family. She was constantly talking to her mom and her two sisters, Audrey and Amanda, and also would always stay in touch with her friend, Maria. They were super, super close. The two of them had actually been friends for over 20 years and they'd helped each other through a bunch of highs and lows, it sounds like from interviews I've heard with Maria. So their bond was incredibly close. Maria said that it was one of those friendships where no matter how much time had passed since they had last seen each other, that when they did get together, it was just like old times, it was easy, and they would always stay in contact. You know, they never let that slip. Now, her friends and family definitely had some concerns about Justin from the beginning. None of them were ever really close to him in any way, and we'll get more into that. He just seemed a little like trying too hard to be personable, but it wasn't a natural thing. There was an incident when I was getting my kids buckled into the car where my oldest son, who was two or three at the time, he held out his little hand to Justin um, and he said, I hurt my finger or my finger hurts. I don't know what he had done to it. Um, and Justin whipped out a pocket knife and flipped it open and was like, well, let me just cut it off for you, which I, I guess he thought he was being funny, but to my very small child, this wasn't funny. Like he was very alarmed and, and cried a lot about it. And another thing to know about Justin is he has a daughter and her name is Gracie. She was very close with Jessica from what I understand. And Jessica loved her too. And she loved being a stepmother. So over time, things started to fall apart with Jessica and Justin. And there are a lot of questions here that we're just not gonna have the answers to because Jessica's not here to tell us, but it seems like a lot of their life was kind of secretive. Their friends and family only knew so much about what was going on, but Jessica was telling her friends that Justin was being physically abusive to her. 
Specifically, she was telling Maria and really confiding in her and Maria was supporting her and kind of coaching her because Maria has mentioned in interviews that she has been through a similar situation. Seemed like just mental abuse at first. And I, I think that's emotional and mental abuse are always the first steps in a relationship like that. Anyway, if she was doing anything he didn't like, it was just just chaos and, and fighting and 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 just a very tumultuous situation in the household. She was always reluctant to be very forthcoming because she really wanted her marriage to work. And she knew that the more she revealed, the more she couldn't fix it if things got better in my eyes. So she was always trying to save face more than she was trying to save herself, um, which is very unfortunate, but she never wanted anybody to view um, the relationship as bad. She always wanted to have the fairy tale. So um, when things got really bad, it was really hard for her to be open about it. But she eventually did tell me that um, he was doing things to her in her sleep. And when she was asleep, she had been given too many pills or, or was unable to wake up for whatever reason. So she was asleep in a way that she could not control. And, and she said he was doing things to her that she did not um, agree to while she was sleeping. And no one was really close with Justin. It didn't seem like he had any fans out of her friends and family. They were concerned. Audra was very concerned about Justin, that her sister was being controlled. And she made it clear several times that she didn't like him, that she felt worried about him. And he eventually cut communication for the two of them. He was constantly looking over what they were doing. And if they did talk, he would want to listen in on the conversations. They would have to be on speakerphone. So that's the type of guy he was. He was incredibly controlling. And we're gonna go through some of Jessica's text messages today. And when you hear them, you're gonna understand exactly what this guy was like. So this is a message that Jessica had sent Maria before she disappeared. And to give context to this message, basically Maria was gonna be coming down her way because one of her children had a cheer competition. And she was like, oh, maybe we can stay with you and Justin. And Jessica said, yeah. Apparently Justin said, yeah, too. Like we have plenty of room, you can come stay with us. This guy was very hot and cold. He would sometimes say certain things and then go back on it. Apparently he wigged out right before they were supposed to come. And this is her message, trying to explain that to her. It says, hey, I need to talk to you about this weekend. I'm hiding in the bathroom right now so Justin doesn't hear me. We've been fighting, like fighting, for the past three days about everything. He's threatening to kick me out, put me in jail. He's hit me, it's bad. He told me you guys can't come or it's gonna be worse for me. Lo, which is what she calls Maria, I'm so sorry. I know it's last minute, I feel awful. I don't know what to do. I can recommend somewhere else that's reasonable, like a B on the canal. We used to stay there a lot. And then she writes, low, I'm scared. So after hearing that message, obviously it really paints a picture for what was going on, what Jessica was dealing with, how she felt. She was clearly incredibly frightened and worried and knew that something could happen to her. And from what Maria has said, basically it seemed that Jessica was wanting to leave and would tell Justin, I'm gonna leave. Her first concern was 
that she would never get to see Grace again, her stepdaughter. And her second concern was she wouldn't be able to provide for herself, which I'm not sure why she felt that way because she was on disability. So she had steady income. He made it clear to her that if she left, she could never come back. And he threatened, according to her, obviously I never heard him threaten her. He's always trying to be charming in front of me. But according to her, there were threats that if she ever left, he would use all of his resources. And by resources, he he claims to have all these special ops friends in the military that could just like hunt her down and track and trace all of any kind of financial, electronic data, cell phone records, all of that sort of thing, that he would hunt her down and kill her um, if she tried to leave, according to her. And so if she was going to leave, it had to be like the great escape where she would like have a burner phone, if any at all, and have to do everything cash. And she was really afraid that her disability check being deposited into account would make her findable no matter where she went. And she would have to go really, really far to get away from him. Before Jessica met Justin, she was a very independent girl. She always kind of seemed to have her stuff together. Um, she wasn't the sort of person that really tolerated a whole a whole lot from from her partners. Um, she was she was quick to say this isn't working out and and move on. That was the hardest part about her being with Justin is seeing a very very quick shift from that very independent minded, very outgoing girl to someone whose whose light was actively dimming. So it seems like Jessica was possibly planning to leave. In fact, her friends and family all believe that she was planning to leave Justin and that she may have been executing the plan. They believe that she hit a breaking point in the marriage and she knew she could not stay with him, that she feared for her life. It seemed like she had finally accepted that she deserved better and was ready to make the move. Obviously, domestic violence situations are not easy to leave. Some people may not understand that. I mean, you could never really understand unless you've been in that situation, but she felt trapped. And she was also so worried that she wouldn't be able to see her stepdaughter again. She loved Gracie. She was like a mother to her. So the idea of losing her was scary and sad. So that brings us to August 12th, 2019. And something I wanna note before we continue is around this time, According to her stepdaughter, Gracie, Jessica was possibly cleaning the house, like deep cleaning the house. And this information is from Maria. She said eventually Justin cut off communication with her and Gracie, so she can't talk to her anymore. But she said that Gracie said that she was cleaning a bunch. And Maria said that that kind of made her think maybe she was preparing to possibly leave because sometimes when you leave situations like that, you wanna do a deep clean, kinda of get your ducks in a row, make sure you're ready, you have everything that you need because you may never come back. And she thinks that Jessica may have been putting her plan to leave Justin in action. But on August 12th, something clearly happened that gave Jessica the urgent need to leave her house. She called Maria and Maria missed the call. She actually missed it three times. She called like three times in a row and she called her back in just a few minutes. And when she did connect with her, Jessica sounded exhausted and panicked and said that she needed a ride, that she needed to leave the house. And she said she needed this ride 
right now. But the problem is Maria was over two hours away from her. Maria's also a mom, she has young kids, and she had no one to look after them. And she was very concerned to take them with her and bring them possibly into a dangerous situation. Logistically, there was no way for me to get her on on that Monday afternoon and also get my kids from school in time. So she kind of calmed Jessica down and she promised her that she would get to her the next morning. Like just get through the day and I will be there in the morning. And I said, what about your stuff? And she said, well, I don't know. He's not gonna let me leave with any of it. I'm gonna have to go back and get it at some point with somebody. And I suggested she needed to call the police. And she was like, well, maybe I can just pack a few things and I don't know, I'll have to figure it out. And I said, okay, well, I'll come get you tomorrow morning, but you have to be willing to get in the car and go as soon as I get there. Her plan was the next morning to drop her kids off at school and then head straight to Jessica. But then that next morning, her and Jessica talked on the phone. Jessica was actually at the doctor's office with Gracie and she was able to step out in the hallway for a second and make this call. She called me and she was like, you know, I just need to see what happens when I get home. He's had a chance to sleep now. I'll just, I'll let you know. And I said, okay and we got off the phone. So that evening, Jessica's going home and the last message that she sends Maria says this, okay, just hang on. I don't know what's gonna happen when I get home. And then that whole night, Maria does not hear from Jessica. And then the next morning she starts calling her, trying to get a hold of her, texting her, and she hears nothing back. She wasn't sure what to do and she thought it was possible that Justin was just keeping her phone from her or, she couldn't talk while he was around, something like that. So then she doesn't hear anything until 9 p.m. the following night, the 14th. She gets a message from Jessica's Facebook account from Justin and it says, is Jess with you? Grace and I are worried. And of course, Maria's immediately panicked. Now she knows something probably happened. So she frantically starts typing back to Justin, trying to get some more information out of him. And here is their conversation. I think it's very telling, so I wanna go through it. So he says, is Jess with you? Grace and I are worried. If so, that's fine. We just don't know where she is. And Grace can't handle stress like this right now. Maria says, no, she's not. When was the last time that you spoke to her? He says, about noon today and she left everything here. Keys, car, ID, money? And he puts a bunch of question marks. Maria says, what about her phone? He says, here too, effing weird. Worried she's never done this. I have no idea, checked everything and everyone I know, question mark, question mark. She says, okay, well, I'm sending the police over there. To which he says, okay, you're going to freak Grace out, but question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. To which she says, if Jonathan came home from work and all my stuff was here and the kids didn't know where I was, he would already be talking to police. To which he responds, I know how to file a missing persons report. Do you think I hurt her or something? Police can't do anything until 24 hours. She's an adult. I'm checking hospitals and jails now. Called hospital and both jails, but not at any of them. Called police and missing persons is 24 hours after last seen to file a report. I have got to be missing something. I'm going full out on social media and every other asset I have to find if my wife is safe. I have a child throwing up that needs to know her mom is okay. Here is the missing persons report. If you know where she is and that she's okay, I would appreciate you telling me before all the world knows our personal problems. This is really messing Grace up. And then Maria says 
this. If she left because you're an asshole to her, I'm 100% supportive of her doing that. The problem that I'm having is, is I'm the person that she would call and I haven't heard from her since Monday. So either some random person in this big dangerous city you live in has taken my friend or you lost your shit because she was trying to leave from my point of view. But honestly, I can't even name one single other friend she has left. It doesn't make sense that she would leave and not tell me something. And he says back, you're right. As always, it's all about you. Thanks for helping her and us in this. And she says, don't even. If I hear anything from her, I'll be sure to let you know that she's safe for Grace's sake. And he says, plenty human of you. And the whole thing about having to wait 24 hours to file a police report is not true. Someone tells you this, it's incorrect information. And Maria even called the police station to confirm this. And while I was on the phone with the police, he was saying, oh, I know, I know how to file a missing persons. Um, do you think I did something to her? I was like, I haven't said that. Why would you immediately jump to that? And he said, well, I can't file a missing persons report for 48 hours. And I read that out loud to the dispatcher and she was like, that's not true. And then it started to sink in for her that my alarm was was probably well-founded and that somebody needed to go out there and, and check on Jessica. Jessica's friends and family at this point were extremely worried and knew that something had to have happened because Jessica would not have just left like this. And, you know, like Maria said, she would have at least told her, even if she did decide to just go start a new life, she would have told her. So they know that something's got to be wrong here. She's not okay. There's no way that Jessica is out there and just not letting us know that she's okay. Friday went by, no response. Saturday, no response. Sunday evening, I finally got in touch with a different person, a different call taker at the third district. So she was able to impress upon detectives that I was not going away anytime soon and had them call me. And they went out to check on Jessica, assuming that she was home and just no longer allowed to communicate with me because I was making a scene on social media. It was just right from the beginning, um, very unmotivated and dismissive of, of this as a whole and of my concerns um, for her well-being. Dispatch sent out two patrol cars um, to just do a wellness check on Jessica. And they showed up, I've watched the video for that, he was acting very nervous, trying to talk about his dog and his dog being trained and trying to be very jovial and then trying to name drop that he had buddies at the police station, none of which is relevant to his wife missing. So the police were very suspicious and rightfully so. But here's, here's my concern. He was not even worried about this until her friend from out of state sent officers over here to look for her, to make sure she was okay. That's what prompted him. No, he's, he's really not, it doesn't, like he's just real nonchalant, like, oh, uh, you know, I have the officers come to the Polk Street side. They're, uh, they're, my, my dad and my daughter are sleeping. I don't want to wake them up. But then when we get here, he's like, do you guys need to do this in the car? Or do you want to come in? You can come look through the house if you want. You know, he's just being, like, really weird about it. She says when she doesn't take her medication, like she has uh, mental problems, uh, that she gets, like, severe depression, but it doesn't make her active. It right. makes her go sleep inside, but... Right. If shit got bad enough right. with depression, maybe, you know. Right. 
he is just explaining himself to death. Didn't you get that feeling? Yeah, he's oh, like he, and overly then he was, explaining He was himself. like, I'm sorry if I seem shady. Yeah, and he said, I'm sorry if I seem sketchy. This is just all weird to me. And he's just constantly trying to... And he's just like over explaining everything. Like, is there any place that she would go hang out? Is there like a bar that she goes to? Or or any... The only friends that we really have are in North Carolina. You know, we have Keller and Everlock, but I mean, he's the first person I called. They relayed to the police department, the precinct, whatever, that they needed to send somebody out again to investigate the fact that she was missing because the welfare check had been performed she was not there now she was missing and so i guess this procedure that that has to be called in and then sent back out so the report was filed at about 2 a.m on the 15th so a few days later is actually jessica's 43rd birthday and her friends and family are just devastated that she's not there. So I created a missing poster for her on her birthday and published it on social media. And um, in an effort to just get some traction, get some attention, get the word out so that if she was somewhere hiding safe, which I really didn't have a lot of hope that she was, that she would see it and at least contact me to calm me down and call me off so that um, she could go and disappear and do her thing and escape her situation. The police work in this one is beyond upsetting, truly. Like, this should piss you off. If it doesn't, I don't know what to tell you. Eventually, Jessica's family just decided to go down to New Orleans and try to find her themselves because they didn't feel like Justin was doing anything. They didn't feel like the police were doing enough. So they wanted to take matters into their own hands. So her family goes down there and they bring one of their cousins named Doug. And Doug goes with them so that he can talk to detectives because he kind of knows what to ask and understands all of this a little better. We went to Project NOLA to go see if we had seen the car going anywhere or Jessica walking around, but there was nothing. Then we decided to go to her neighborhood and scout out places for a future search party. So as they're driving around the neighborhood, they have the windows down and they're about two and a half blocks from Jessica's house when they notice a bad smell, the smell of a decaying body, which Doug is familiar with. And they follow the scent. And that is when we found Jessica. That's right, her family found her body near her house, almost like police didn't even look. This is near the Interstate 610 underpass. They get out of the car, and as soon as they see this body laying there, they realize that it's Jessica. She was in this wooded area right in City Park, just lying in the open. This is at the end of a dead end corner. There's a bunch of trees kind of like right before the woods start. She was right there just lying in front of the trees. I can't imagine what that moment was like for their family, what it was like for Audra when she realized that that was her sister lying there. And this is like a week after she went missing and they had to call the police and let them know we literally found our family member's body because you couldn't. It was chaotic. There was 15, 20 cops there. 
I had never seen so many cops in my whole life. And she was so close to home and wasn't even hidden, like wasn't buried. It's odd that they didn't find her. It doesn't make any sense. You know, there are cases out there where it's next to impossible to find the body or someone literally got rid of it to the point where you cannot find it. But in this situation where she's literally just lying on the grass near her home, it's so frustrating to hear about this. And one thing that stands out is whenever the lieutenant was talking to a homicide detective, we heard him say that this is a homicide. And it's possible that they even broke her rib when they moved her. Although I want to clarify that the family does not believe that's what the broken rib is from. We'll get more into that. So the coroner arrives to the scene and they take her body to the Orleans Parish Coroner's office. And at this point, her body is not confirmed to be Jessica. And even though her family felt like this was her, recognized some of her clothing, you know, they have to confirm that it is with DNA. And her body was so decomposed because she's lying out in the sun in New Orleans in August for like a week. So they start an investigation, right? And they talk to Justin and he told them several different stories. And there's not a lot of information about what exactly he told them, but his timeline for when she left the house kept changing. And at one point he even suggested that she went to a psychiatric hospital, had left the house to go there. When Jessica first went missing, I tried to give Justin the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to hear his side of the story because I had only heard Maria's side. I called, no answer. And to this day, he still has not contacted me. So the police seem to be getting nowhere with the case, not getting anywhere with Justin. And Jessica's family had so many questions. I mean, how did her body get there? Was her body there the whole time? Did someone put her there? How did they miss her in their initial search? Did they even search the neighborhood? We have no idea. And some of the neighbors have said that they never saw police presence in that area around that time. So... My guess is no. So their family at this point is stuck just waiting and they're waiting for them to even identify her body as Jessica because the police tell them that they cannot start the investigation until they even confirm that it's her. Even though we had identified Jessica at the scene, they said that they needed DNA evidence from my mom just in case if this ever went to court. And the process of identifying Jessica was painfully slow for the family. First of all, it took over a week after she was first found for the police to mail a DNA swab of Jessica's mother's DNA to the New Orleans Police Department for comparison. And then for a while, they just didn't hear anything. They were supposed to be identifying her, but during all this time, she's just in the morgue. It took us forever to get an official ID on her body. So they can't lay her to rest. They can't even confirm that it's her. Imagine what that would be like. And during all this time, Justin never called Jessica's parents, which is so bizarre. I can't imagine Josh not calling my parents if I was missing. He would be on the phone within hours of me being gone with my parents. It takes him until September 2nd to call her family. Finally, Justin calls her parents and talks to them. And I'm not sure what that conversation was like. I mean, her family definitely had their ideas of what had happened. Justin has not one time shared her missing poster, but the day her body was found, he was telling me, oh, she committed suicide. I'm just ready to heal and move on from this. And 
just trying to really put it behind him. So then over a month goes by without a single word from detectives. And their family this whole time is under the impression that they're in the process of identifying Jessica so that they can start the investigation. But then as if they haven't been through enough, in October, they find out that the New Orleans Police Department was sent the DNA sample from her mother and that they put it on someone's desk. And that was the last time that any of them had seen it. The reason why the autopsy took so long was because they misplaced the DNA and they kept bumping Jessica for other cases. And it's really depressing to hear this kind of thing, that this stuff actually does happen. You know, you'd think that if something happened to you, you'd hope that the police are going to make identifying your body a top priority and not just throw DNA on desks willy-nilly and just lose things. Hearing that police departments lose evidence is so maddening and it happens so often. So they had to get another sample from her mother and send that in. They weren't able to get confirmation that this was Jessica's body until November 8th. The coroner confirmed that a body found a couple of blocks away belonged to Jessica. The positive ID in this case took more than two months. This thing would not have taken as long as it has had she not laid in the New Orleans sun for a week and a half before her body was found. She shouldn't be dead right now. My family's devastated. They lost a cousin, uh, a sister, uh, a daughter. And if that's not bad enough, it then took the coroner two months to say what her cause of death was. And on January 15th, 2020, the coroner came back with undetermined, which is not what their family wanted to hear. But now that the autopsy was done, her body can be released to her next of kin. And because she was married, that person is Justin. And Justin was apparently dealing with things in other ways because about a week after this, he's in a bar and scares some woman so bad that he is detained for a 24 hour observation. And get this, this woman's name is also Jessica. He had been staring at this woman. He eventually went up to her, told her that his wife was also named Jessica and that she had committed suicide and then tells her that he would like her to take her clothes. She said that he was just acting crazy and her and her coworker actually called the police because they had heard about Justin from this case. And on that same day, while Justin is busy with all of that, Audra and Jessica's stepfather are doing everything they can to move everything forward. So they met up with the New Orleans Police Department in person to have a chat with them. And when they meet with them, they are told that Jessica's case is a cold case, that there is no further information or evidence. There's no new leads, the investigation is stalled. And normally this doesn't happen for quite a while. I mean, it was a pretty fresh case to be determining it a cold case already. Obviously they were very disappointed and everything felt even more bleak when the coroner's report came back at the end of January. And it turns out that Jessica had a broken rib, which the police claim is from them moving her after they found her, but we don't know. She also had an injury to her nose and had a linear fracture in her jaw, but her most significant injury was a broken 
vertebra, specifically the C4 vertebra, which is near the base of your neck. It's part of the midsection of the cervical spine, and an injury to the cervical vertebra is the most severe type of spinal cord injury. This vertebra has nerves that run to the diaphragm and control breathing. And if someone survives breaking this, they are likely to suffer paralysis and may need to be on a ventilator for the rest of their lives. Some people get injuries to their C4 when they get in car accidents, like a quick jerk, but it can also be caused by choking, strangulation. So when it comes to her toxicology report, apparently they weren't able to run that many tests because of her advanced stage of decomposition. All they could test was liver tissue, and it did come back with traces of methamphetamine and bupropion. But they can't confirm that Jessica had even taken these recently. Now there has been a lot of speculation about what drugs Jessica possibly could have been taking at the time. Jessica had fibromyalgia and it's basically, I have it too, it's weird. It's just body pain all over. It feels different at different times and it can be unbearable at times. And so Jessica was prescribed medication for that. Obviously those medications can be very addicting and they can also make you feel very drowsy and tired. So according to her friends who have contacted some of Justin's previous wives, which he's had multiple ex-wives, they have claimed that Justin really liked to take a bunch of different pills, that he really liked uppers. So Jessica's friends believe that it's possible Justin was giving her stimulants like Adderall or something to counteract the medication that she was taking. But because she was so decomposed, there's no way to really know how much she was taking on that day or if it was affecting her in any type of way. And because of this, the coroner can't rule out a drug-related death. So that's still kind of on the table. But Jessica's friends and family are convinced that there was foul play. They were really frustrated that the manner of death is listed as undetermined because of that C4 injury that could have been caused by strangulation and the broken rib. So meanwhile, word had spread around the area that Jessica lived in, Lakeview, that there could be a killer on the loose, that someone could have just randomly attacked Jessica and people were really freaked out. Everything seems to be hush-hush. The police don't know anything. The neighborhood is very upset about it and we would really like some answers as to what happened to our neighbor. And then after a little while, someone in the neighborhood actually found more evidence that the police had missed. They found a blanket and Jessica's ID, which was all crumpled up and had a little tear at the bottom. So they call Jessica's sister, Audra, and she calls police to let them know to go over to this person's house and collect the evidence and talk to them. She doesn't hear anything, so a week later, she calls this couple that found the ID in the blanket and police never contacted them. They never did anything with this. So it had become increasingly clear to their family that the police just did not do a thorough investigation, if any investigation at all. It seems like they were missing all the major evidence. The fact that they missed her body, they were losing DNA. It's like they just didn't care. It was almost like they were sabotaging the case. When we were growing up, we were always taught that if you need help to ask the police. So the way this case has been handled from the beginning is heartbreaking. It's an injustice. It is a slap in the face. We shouldn't have to fight the justice system to get justice for our loved ones. So on April 14th, Audra decided to file a formal complaint because they felt like they were failing to investigate Jessica's death. 
and I completely agree. And of course, for the next several months, she would try calling to get an update on the complaint at least, and she would hear absolutely nothing. She could never get a hold of anybody. So finally, on August 6th, the Public Integrity Bureau confirms that they had started an investigation into the NOPD's handling of Jessica's case. And this is just unbelievable, but that couple that had found the blanket in the ID were not contacted by police until September 1st. This is 170 days after they reported these items to a detective. They still don't know how long her ID was laying on the ground. They don't know if they even searched the area. And one of the worst parts about this case was how long Jessica's body was in the morgue. During all this time, she's still in the morgue. Justin never picked her up. Her family was desperately trying to get in touch with him for months and he just wasn't replying. So then in late October, somebody threw out a headboard and a futon in front of Jessica's house from inside the house. So crime scene investigators, surprisingly, actually went to the scene and collected some evidence from it. These items had been in Jessica's room and they were put outside for a donation pickup. And of course they found this really odd. And with their experience so far, DNA testing takes a long time with these people. So they were hoping it would come back by maybe the end of the year. But by this last Christmas Eve of 2020, Jessica's body was still in the morgue it had been there for 490 days, and the results of that DNA testing from those items outside the house had still not come back. So obviously her family feels stuck. They feel like the police investigation is going nowhere, that it doesn't seem like they even want to solve this case. And that's how it looks. So her friends and family are left to try to raise awareness and figure out what really happened to Jessica and get her the justice she deserves. And they have done an excellent job of raising awareness. Her sister, Audrey, is so, so tough. She is not gonna stop until she gets justice. And I think it's amazing what she's doing. But there is one huge part of this that we just have to talk about. I know people are going to look into it anyway, and I think it's important. So Justin and Jessica were actually in the adult entertainment industry. They were doing cam videos. Jessica did this under the name Vivian or Viv, and Justin did it under the name Lance Anderson. They had built up a little you know, fan base that was watching them as these characters and these characters had kind of whole storylines to them as well. And it sounds like her family did not know about this. You know, it's her private life, whatever. She doesn't need to tell them. But her friend Maria kind of knew that it was going on, but she didn't know, she had never seen it before. She didn't actually understand what was happening, but she knew that Jessica was doing this. I remember joking with her. I was like, oh, I wonder if I could sell videos of my feet. <laughs> like if somebody wants to be a weirdo and look at my feet, like I, I can make peace with that. Like I could sit here and adjust my claims and take videos of my feet. And like, if somebody wants to pay me, like pay me. So, I mean, I never followed through with that, but that was like, that was our little running joke. So that's another thing. It's quite possible if she left Justin, she'd be losing her livelihood because he kind of put all this together and put it out there. He convinced Jessica that he had a VPN and this is not how a VPN works, right? We know this. He convinced her that he had a VPN that was blocking her content, her adult content from popping up in certain states, like where her friends and family were, so that no one would know that she was doing this on the side. And even after Jessica was found, Justin continued posting from the two of them, continued sharing her pictures and video content after he knew she was dead all over this page. He was 
right away in communication with some girl from the porn industry and sharing, you know, kind of salacious messages back and forth with her and ready to move on, just ready to heal and move on. And then eventually in November, remember she died in August, he announces that she died to all of their followers. And then in December of 2019, he creates two different GoFundMes, clearly trying to make money off of Jessica's death after all of this. The first one that he made is for Jessica Durning, which is his name, her maiden name is Easterly. But the second one was for Vivian, for her memorial services, literally for the character that they were putting out online. Luckily, the fundraiser only raised about 140 bucks before it was closed. And this is probably one of the scummiest things I've ever heard when looking into one of these cases. But Justin put in the description box of Vivian's GoFundMe that people who donated would be promised special exclusive pictures, lingerie, videos from Jessica that she had already pre-recorded and even some of her items such as her shoes. He was literally selling her stuff to strangers online after she was dead. That's what he was spending his time doing. Then it turns out that Justin has been arrested in the past for unrelated charges, such as assault, unlawful possession of a firearm, contributing to the delinquency of a minor, a probation violation, and some domestic violence thrown in there as well. Also, it seems like he has a history of lying. Of course, he's innocent until proven guilty. I have to say that this is alleged, but according to her family and friends, Justin has also lied about his background in the military. And it's impossible to find anything about this guy and what he does online. But it seems as if he has been saying for a long time that he has this extensive military background and knows all these people. And that's what he used to scare Jessica with is like, I know all these people, so you'll never get away from me, whatever. But it turns out when they tracked down his ex-wives, they confirmed that he never was in the military at all. And in fact, one of them said he never even made it to enrolling in boot camp. So who knows the truth about this guy? But with all of that, he's never been named a suspect in her death. And the house that they were all living in, Justin's father also lived in, and Justin owned half of this house. He like inherited it from his mom or something. But his father was also living there at the time of Jessica's disappearance, and he's never been questioned. Also, the detectives never even searched their house or her vehicle. So of course, we gotta talk about other theories here. There is a possibility that Jessica could have been being stalked. I mean, you've gotta kinda consider it when she did have all of these fans online. It's possible that someone was kind of obsessed with her and sought her out. But with the timeline of everything, this seems incredibly unrealistic. Also, the suicide theory, which Justin seems to be really pushing. In fact, he had told that woman in the bar that his wife had committed suicide. And the coroner did find drugs in her system, but there was no way to know when she took them and what did she just take a bunch of pills and then go out and lay down near her house outside. It just makes no sense, right? The detectives at the New Orleans 3rd District Police Department tried to say that maybe she wandered off in the woods and caused those injuries to herself. I then said, even after death, what about those injuries? Of course, there is the possibility that Jessica was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe she was walking around and happened to run into some type of predator. Seems like other things are more likely. So as for latest updates, Jessica's body was finally released from the morgue to her family in February. At that point, Jessica's body had been in the morgue for 530 days. I've never heard anything like this. And this was because Justin just straight 
blew off picking her up. The coroner didn't hear from him for months. It's like he didn't even care. And he just left her in the morgue forever. Her family just recently was able to get her out of the morgue um, due to lack of contact. And, and he tried to raise funds to bury her and then never went and collected her remains or did anything whatsoever. Finally, they were able to have a small burial for her on February 16th and her loved ones were, you know, able to say goodbye. And eventually they're gonna have like a celebration of life service for Jessica, you know, once things calm down after COVID. But as of right now, they are still waiting on those forensic results from the DNA swabs they took from the headboard and the futon in front of Jessica's house. That was collected in October, 2020. And here we are over six months later, we still have nothing as far as I know. As of today, there's nothing going on with Jessica's case. It is nothing more than a box full of files collecting dust on a shelf somewhere. Jessica's friends and family have vowed to not stop fighting for her until they get the justice that Jessica deserves. And if you have been moved by this story, I invite you to be an active true crime viewer by taking a few steps to help Jessica's family today. And they're easy. So first of all, this case will obviously be updating and changing over time, hopefully. So you can stay updated on Jessica's case by following her Twitter account that her family runs, or you can also stay up to date by visiting justiceforjessica.org. That's four, like number four. And their family also uses justice for Jessica as their hashtag for the case. So you can stay up to date that way. Then we also have a petition going that will be linked below please just take a minute to sign it. I promise it takes less than a minute, honestly. It takes a second of your day. If you had time to watch this whole video, you should have time to take a quick second to sign this. And if you want to really go above and beyond, you can participate in our calling and emailing campaign, which is super easy to do. And it will make the most impact because we're gonna be contacting the new DA who was just appointed in January. His name is Jason R. Williams. And we're gonna ask him to look into the investigation and death of Jessica Easterly. It's that simple. Let me just show you guys how easy this is, all right? I understand some people like emailing. I'll have like a little email easy below that you can just copy paste. Or if you wanna make this call, the number's below, super easy. I think it's after hours, but I'll just leave a message. Hi, this message is for District Attorney Jason R. Williams. My name is Kendall. I am calling about Jessica Easterly Durning's case. I'm asking that you look into the investigation and her death, as there are a lot of unanswered questions and their family really needs help. I would really appreciate it. See, it's that easy. And these calling and emailing campaigns really make a difference, you guys. Like if we come together, we can get some things done for this family and for Jessica because they deserve answers. Jessica deserves justice. This case just tore my heart apart. So again, I'll put all that information below. You can follow Justice for Jessica. You can sign the petition and you can make a short phone call and an email. It's gonna make a huge difference. I think that what I would like everyone to remember about Jessica's case is the injustice. She wasn't important enough. She got put on the back burner and still is to this day. She was a human being, she loved, and she had a life, and it got taken away from her. That is gonna be it for me today, guys. Thank you for joining me for another episode and make sure you follow the show on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It really does help me out. If you wanna watch the video version of this show, you can find it on my YouTube channel, which will be linked, or you can just search Kendall Ray. I will be back with another episode soon, but until then, stay safe out there.